Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. I'm so used to telling everyone to stand. Um, just a little plug. On Tuesday evening, 6.30, um, just co- come and join. Um, I serve on a ministry team that we um, love to move. So we will do yoga, and that's Tuesday night, 6.30. And then there is also on Fridays, um, I think it's noon, one? One o'clock, one o'clock. It's chair yoga, so please join us. But um, today I'm going to be reading um, God's Word, and it comes from Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. May God bless this reading of his word. You may be seated. In her novel, uh, Confessions of a Domestic Failure, uh, Bunmi Latadin writes about the challenges of modern-day parenting. She says this, how to be a parent today. Make sure your children's academic and emotional, psychological, mental, spiritual, physical, nutritional, and social needs are all met. While being careful not to overstimulate, understimulate, improperly medicate, helicopter, and neglect them in a screen fee, processed foods free, GMO free, negative energy free, plastic free, body positive, socially conscious, egalitarian, but also authoritative, nurturing but fostering of independence, gentle but not overly permissive, pesticide free, two-story, multilingual home, preferably in a cul-de-sac with a backyard, one and a half siblings spaced at least two years apart for proper development. Also, don't forget coconut oil. How to be a parent in literally every generation before ours? Feed them sometimes. <laughs> we're, we're in this study in the book of Ephesians, looking at uh, life in the church. And what he, Paul had said uh, in chapter 5 is he says, be imitators of God. And then he talks about being full of the Holy Spirit. And what he does actually for the rest of this chapter is he says, here's some pictures of what it looks like to be full of the Holy Spirit. He gives us a picture of what marriage will look like. And today what he'll do is to talk about what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit and imitators of God and life in the church is to have a functional, healthy view of parents and children. Now, some of your parents uh, are, are very interested in this subject and very interested to think about this and talk about this. But for those of you who are not parents, it's almost immediate sometimes we want to go, well, this has nothing to do with me. Please don't do that. If you look at the New Testament, the two main writers that we have, or the two main people probably you could say for the whole New Testament, are Jesus and Paul. Both were single, and both actually made singleness a viable option for the first time in society. But both wrote extensively and talked all of the time about what it meant to be a parent and what it meant to be a child. In fact, what they both did is they both gave instructions on this and also talked about uh, being a parent or a child as highly metaphorical for understanding the nature of faith and Christianity. 
and especially here in the church, as we're cultivating life and what it means to be involved in the church, you've got to more and more come to the point of thinking about being a Christian as, as not the same thing as being a sports fan. If you go to a Dodgers game or you go to a Laker game or something like that, you have something in common with everybody in the stadium while you're there. And you're there to see the same thing and celebrate the same thing. But the moment the game is over, you all go to your separate lives and have no intersection over to that. The church is not meant to be that way at all. It's not meant to be just this, we have this thing in common, but once it's over, we go back to our own lives. It's life together. It's helping one another. It's involved in relationships. And the most intimate way that we can be involved in each other's relationships is helping each other parent and bring up children together. So let's look at these things this morning that Paul has to say to us about parents and children under just two headings. One, just instructions for children, and two, wisdom for parents. Okay, first, instructions for children. So Paul gives these commands to children And it doesn't jump off the page to us the way it would have jumped off the page in the early first century because today, everything you go to and everything you hear is, well, it's for the kids. But in an early Greco-Roman life, nothing was for children. Children were the most neglected, unimportant parts of society, and they had no value until they grew up and had a job. So the idea of Paul speaking into a community and writing a letter and directly addressing children would have just been culturally off the charts. No one had done this before. And so when he comes and he says to children, these two things, obey your parents and honor your father and mother. Now the word for obey is two Greek words uh, that one means hear and under. So what he's literally saying is uh, to, to obey means to put yourself under somebody and listen to them. That is, their words, their voice, their opinions are the determinative uh, overriding uh, uh, voice in your life. And the word he uses for children here is, is a word that would have been used for youthful children, for young kids. So what he's saying here is for those of you who are uh, youthful kids, and, and in our society we'll apply it this way, those of you who are under 18, living dependently on your parents, living dependently in every part of your life, under their house, under their roof, Paul is saying this, you must, in that phase of your life, put yourself in every aspect of your life under your parents' voice. And what Paul is getting at right here is this incredible problem that we all grow up with, with a huge disdain for putting ourselves under anybody's voice. Augustine, in his uh, famous work, The Confessions, has this great chapter where he talks about the pear tree. And he says he and his friends one day uh, wanted to go steal some fruit off the pear tree. And he said, we didn't do it because we were hungry or because we had this like Robin Hood uh, imagination where we were stealing for this to go feed hungry people who couldn't feed themselves. He says, No, we actually stole and didn't enjoy the thing we stole. The whole reason we stole was to just enjoy the idea of stealing. He says, what pleased us was the reason that it was forbidden, the forbiddenness. Now, if you don't know that about your heart and about the human heart in general, then nothing Paul says here is going to make sense at all. 
the idea that obedience and putting yourself under a voice, most of the time, it, it has nothing to do with actually the thing that you're called to obey to, but very much to do with the idea that you're called to obey it. Because underneath all of us is this, this inclination to say, nobody tells me what to do. Nobody's going to shape my life but me. And one of the ways that God wants to heal that in your life is by giving you parents who will be the voice that you have to put yourself under. Now, do we do that just permanently? No. Because what he says in the very next verse, he says, honor your father and mother. Now, why would Paul immediately go from obey your parents to honor your father and mother? Well, the reason he's doing that is because he's joining in all of us who are children. Now, not all of us are parents in this room, but every single one of us has been a child. And what we begin to learn in life is that the nature of our relationship to our parents must change. And so the reason he goes from obedience to honor is he's, he's entering in to the healthy dynamic that you have to enter into as you grow up and have a changing relationship with your parents. I mean, think of it illustratively like, like this. You know, as a kid, as a, excuse me, as an infant, your parents just feed you. They just open your mouth and they just put food into it. Uh, you don't even know what you're eating. When you get a little bit older, you know, what's for dinner? This. If you complain, it's like, tough luck. This is what's for dinner. You're going to eat it. As you get a little bit older, you know, sometimes the parents say, well, what would you like to eat tonight? Maybe we can have a menu like that. And if you're 30 and you're calling your parents and, and you're asking them if it's okay to eat this for dinner tonight, I'll be down front after the service. <laughs> we should talk. I mean, as your age grows, what Paul is envisioning is that you have a diminishing dependence on your parents' immediate influence on your life. And what happens is you, don't, you go from putting everything in your life under their voice to learning from their mistakes, to respecting their opinions, and to considering their voice in all of us have to learn to grow up into that. Why? Here's why. Because every single one of us grew up believing one of two lies. Some of us grew up believing the lie that if my parents tell me what to do and I do it, I'll never be happy. That if I, if I put myself under their voice, I'm going to miss out on in life. And the best things that life has to offer are going to be robbed from me. The other lie that some of us grew up believing is that I have to do everything my parents say or else I'll never be happy. And making them happy is the only way I will be happy in life. If you, believe, if you grow up believing the first lie and you never get out of it, you'll never be wise in life. Here's why. Because if you believe what your parents told you Will get in the way of joy and happiness. Here's what will happen in life. You'll always react. That is, you'll look at how your parents did things, and you'll never go, well, that was wise. Well, that wasn't wise. Or I can learn from that. Uh, maybe that was beneficial. Uh, I wouldn't do it that way. What you'll do is, however they did it, 
I'm doing the opposite of that. And the whole while, you'll think you're thinking freely, and you're thinking for yourself, and you're making decisions that are wise and rational and thought out, and all you're doing is actually reacting to your parents. I had a girl one time who worked with me, and um, she was talking, she would just talk uh, really passionately about the certain political views. And um, as, as I began to counsel her and work with her, I began to realize like she had a very difficult relationship with her parents. They just basically told her, this is how life is, only good people think this way, only good people talk this way, only good people treat people this way. And it, it just hurt her, it just wounded her. She was never allowed to ask questions, she was never allowed to work through any of that. And what happened is she, she grew up in life and she discovered certain things, she began to think. She thought, I'm making decisions, but all she was doing is just pushing back to how her parents had raised her. And what that means is if you do that, you'll only go through life thinking you're wise, but you're actually bitter and angry and actually still enslaved your parents' obedience. If you believe the second lie, that all you ever have to do to be happy is make sure your parents are happy, then you will never grow up as a person and enjoy healthy, loving relationships in your family. What do I mean by that? Well, look, when you're growing up, especially if you're a Christian and you learn this in your faith, one thing that you begin to reflect on and realize is that as a kid, almost the, the whole way to obey the Lord was to do everything your parents tell you to do. So that like when they say, eat this, go to bed on this time, put your clothes away, turn that off, don't watch this. You begin to learn in life, actually, every time I did that, it equaled obedience to the Lord. But if you can't grow up out of that, if you can't grow up out of that paradigm, it's not because you were obeying your parents. It's because as a kid, you were worshiping them. And what happens is when you begin to realize that you are worshiping your parents, you can never grow out of that because the, that thing can never go away. They were your functional God. They were the way you were going to find joy and happiness. And what will happen is when you get married and when you bring other people into that relationship, you will demand that they worship them in the same way that you did your whole life. And you know what's sad about it is they will not love your parents and love your family the same way. They will hate them. And you will ruin all of your family's relationships and you will ruin any possibility for your spouse or children or anybody else to love your parents and be in a healthy relationship with them if you believe that lie. Because you're meant to honor them. Let's apply this real quickly. Look, if you're a child and you're young and you're in your parents' house, here's what this text means for you. Unless you're in an abusive home, and if you're in an abusive home, you need to talk to somebody who is not in your family. And listen, abuse is not grounding or a spanking. Abuse is real ongoing emotional, physical violence. Outside of that, you need to do what your parents tell you to do. 
and it will not make sense to you, and there'll be things that you'll hate, and only in life will you discover the wisdom of it later. But if you're a child who has grown up into adulthood and you're into honoring, and you're into engaging relationships as an adult, look, what it can look into is, is just a friendship and a connection. But if it's a broken family, it's a broken relationship, here's what you've got to realize. The dynamic that you're in is because everybody plays a role. And how people communicate the role is if it's dysfunctional, they'll say things like, um, I'm stuck and I have no choice. Look, that's the language of somebody who's enslaved into obedience and has never moved on to honor. What you have to do is you have to learn to take back your choices and get out of that role. That will require boundaries. It will require probably some external help of somebody discovering what dynamic relationship are you in? What patterns are you giving yourself to over and over and over again that everybody's aware of but you're not? Because Paul doesn't want you to be in that dynamic and be sucked into that swirl over and over and over again your whole life. He wants you out of it. He doesn't want you to hate your parents. He wants you to honor them. And one of the ways that you honor them is you get out of the dysfunction. And you treat them respectfully, but you treat them with boundaries. Those are the instructions that Paul gives for us as children. Secondly, though, he gives wisdom for parents. Like children, he gives two commandments to the parents. Do not exasperate your children and or bring them up. In, and he says, and bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, what do these mean? Dan Allender uh, is a Christian counselor uh, in his book, How Children Raise Parents. He says, every child comes into this world asking two questions. Am I loved? And can I do whatever I want? And Allender says, those questions produce four kinds of parents. He says, they produce A, no, yes, parents. That is, no, you're not loved, and yes, you can do whatever you want. He says, that kind of parent, what it is, is somebody who is completely out of touch, who doesn't do anything with the children, and produces neglected children who go through the life wondering if anybody loves them, and walking over everybody. It's, it's some of the most dysfunctional stories in our society. The second kind of parent it produces is yes, yes, parents. Yes, you're loved. Yes, you can do whatever you want. He says, this seems so loving and so affirming, but the problem is, is it produces artificial love and produces a child who mistakes love for codependence. The third kind, he says, is a no, no parent. No, you're not loved. No, you cannot do whatever you want. Now, these children will grow up incredibly obedient, very in order, everything put together. It seems like the perfect package, but internally, they're miserable. They're not playful. They don't know how to do relationships. They don't know the difference between joy and sadness. Everything is stoic, and they will probably grow up either naively doing the same thing to their own children or despising and hating the parents. He says the fourth kind are yes-no parents. Yes, you are loved. No, you cannot do whatever you want. 
These are the kind of parents that I think the Apostle Paul is after here in this text. That when he says these commands, he's trying to teach us to be people who have kids answered the question, are you loved and can you do whatever you want in a way that says yes and no? Now unpack that. Can you do whatever you want? No. He says, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This, word, this phrase, bring them up, is one Greek phrase, ek tre fede. It means uh, to nourish, and it was often used uh, to describe what food does for the body. And so what Paul is saying here is that the parental relationship to a child is meant to be very much like what food does for a body. And he says to do that with discipline and instruction. Now, those words, what they, what they mean are really connotations of boundaries and warnings. So when children ask the question, can I do whatever I want? The modern parent, I mean, the way that we talk about parenting in almost every school, almost every magazine today, approaches the purpose of parenting is, is not about imposing your own views. Your job is simply to love them and let them be whoever they want, let them find their own way. But that assumes something in life that is just inherently false, and that's that we are born with the ability to navigate life's biggest questions without any training. I mean, imagine it this way. Imagine a child going into a kitchen or going into a pantry and just having, you know, a parent just say, get whatever you want, do it as you please, and then not knowing the difference between vegetables and what should be cooked what has to be open between what is healthy and what's rat poison on the floor. And Paul says, if you don't bring children up without boundaries and without warnings, then your parenting is like that, that you're exposing them to food that they have no idea how to eat. They don't know what will hurt them, what will kill them, how much is too much, how much is not enough how much they need in order to be healthy. Now, what does it look like to do this? A couple things. I think, A, you say no. Look, parents are often so worried about saying no because they don't want to be known as the mean parent. But if you don't say no, you don't love the child, you love yourself. Because what it is, it means you want to be, like people want to be their friend. I want to be their pal. No child has ever grown up in that relationship and been thankful that their parent was their friend at a young age. Almost everyone sits in front of a therapist and says, I didn't need a friend. I needed a mom. I needed a dad. You've got to say no. B, put them in places where God can work in their life. Now, if you hear this, bringing them up in the instruction of the Lord, and you're fearful that you have not read the Bible enough with your kids, or you don't pray enough as a family, or there's all these books that you want to teach them and they won't ever read anything, look, relax. What you need to do is you need to put them in places where God works. God, Paul is not calling you here to be the Messiah. Remember, this is in the context of the local church. Put them in places like this where there's lots of people who can be in their life. Fuller Seminary did a study seven years ago 
called Sticky Faith. They said for a child to go from infancy into about 22 years old and hold on to their faith, they need on average seven relationships outside of their family to help their faith go from their parents to their very own. Now, that's powerful for those of you who don't have children and for those of us who are worried that we have to do everything for our children. Because what what you need to do is you just need to put them in places, in contexts where other people can influence them with the gospel. If you do that, the boundaries and the warnings of the gospel and of how God intends life to be will will, will come out all the time. They will see it in how people talk. They will see it in how people live. C, bring them up in the instruction of the Lord by letting them fall. Look, when your kid is like in first grade, if they come to you and they say, can you please help me with this multiplication problem? Or you help me spell this word. And you go, no, I'm not going to be a crutch for you your whole life. You figure it out. Look, No, but if your kid gets to something where it's sophomore year of high school, he gets cut from a team, or there's some bullies at school, or somebody's not nice, or something didn't go their way, and you always intervene, then what you're doing is you're getting in the way of a way for God to minister to them. Because one of the most powerful things the New Testament wants us all to learn is that joy comes through suffering. And one of the most profound ways that God wants to change our life is by meeting us in the hardest moments of our life and showing us that what you're living for is a mirage. And how the world works is actually upside down in God's view of the world. And every single time that you just want to catch them and never let them experience that, do you know what you're doing? You're preventing them from learning that principle. You know why it's hard to let them do that? It's not hard actually for them as much as it is for you. It's because we all have our children not just as something we love, but as an idol. And that's when you know it is. If you can't, let them fall. You have to let them learn this. They're not going to learn it in a pamphlet. They've got to learn it in life. Or D, another way to model this is you have to model godliness to them. Like to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord, what we're, what we're aiming for is that kids would learn that in re- how relationships work, how money works, how we should go into work, what we should do with our free time, what we should do in relationships, what marriage looks like, what friendship looks like, how life looks in God's kingdom. And you know what? You, you, you're not going to teach that by just having 150 books for them to read before they leave the house. If you read, like, you should read the Bible with them. You should pray with them. You should talk to them. But the most important thing for you to do is just live this out before them. I, I promise you, if you live this before your children and they never read a book, they will learn a million times more than if you re- have them read an entire seminary curriculum and you never live it out. Take the pressure off your parenting and just aim for your own godliness in front of your children. 
And I think if you do that, you will begin to give them boundaries and warnings and bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. But as you're doing this, Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, when he says fathers here, I got to tell you this, um, that language is, uh, is in the Greek, uh, is in the masculine plural, which sometimes in a patriarchal society uh, addressed, addresses the family unit through the father. You know how sometimes at the end of a wedding, they'll say, now we present to you Mr. and Mrs. Alexander Patrick Watlington. Everybody knows that's not my wedding. <laughs> um, but what it is, is my wife and I are, are being addressed and thought of through just my name. That's what Paul is doing here. He's talking to mothers and fathers. And what he's getting at is that there's a power dynamic when we bring children up in the instruction of the Lord and have this authority. In the ancient Greco-Roman world, that was abused all of the time. It was lorded over and constantly reminded children that this is the authority I have and you better submit to it or else. And there was rampant abuse. And children were used for any kind of economic or social ladder climbing that people wanted all of the time. When Paul says, do not provoke them to anger, what he's saying is, if you try to bring them up in a way that lords authority over them, then you know what it will do? It will leave that question, am I loved, always unanswered. Sinclair Ferguson in his commentary says this, while Paul urges children to obey, he also sees a danger. Some parents try to subordinate their children to their own authority and the necessity of obeying it in such a way that the duties of children are thus severed from a context of love. And the effect of that is provoking them to anger. See, what Paul, what, here's what he's getting at. He's pressing us. Is our tendency as parents to want things from our children and not for them. Like we want obedience and we want compliance from them because of what this does for my reputation, how it makes me feel as a parent, how it shows me off in front of you. If you're a great student, I've learned, man, that really feels good in front of other parents. And when you push that, children know that, and it provokes them to anger. And it leaves this question, am I loved, always unanswered. So how do you answer that question? Because the, con the converse of what Paul means, do not provoke them to anger, he's really telling you, make sure they know the question, am I loved, is in the affirmative. How do you know that? Here's a couple, here's a couple things. A, tell them. Tell them you love them over and over and over again. Now, when kids hear I love you. It matters, and they hear that, and they sometimes don't hear that, but if you never say it, they definitely heard that. Say it all of the time. B, tell them, or tell them and then grace them. Every parent-child relationship is either grace or law. Law works this way. I will smile on you if you meet these expectations and if you do these things. If you meet this standard, then my smile will get bigger and it will last longer. 
What grace is in a parent-child relationship is to say, you have my smile. You have my affirmation no matter what. And that will drive you to grow up into expectations the child will eventually want to meet in themselves. Now, as a kid, when they're very little, what does that look like? My wife has this phrase that she says all the time, it's framed in our house, let them be little. There are times, you know, with kids where they're disobedient, and it's not because they're indignant on rebellion to you. It's because they just don't know how to be obedient. Because they're little. When you take your kid you know, to, the, to the mall and you're shopping for clothes, and after 45 minutes of trying on clothes, they're running around and hiding under coat racks, that's not because they're a bad kid. Like They, they don't have the ability. Let, let them be little and show them grace. And when they get older, what that looks like is you have to have, I think, some definitive moments where you intentionally give them the opposite of what they deserve. A friend of mine uh, one time had this moment with one of his kids where uh, one of them was at a camp for a month and they were going to visit him halfway through and they knew it was gonna be emotionally vulnerable and the kid would probably want to come home. And the dog had died. And they knew if, if he finds out about the dog, he's really going to want to come home. So he told the other kid, don't tell him the dog died. Sure enough, they get there like 30 minutes into it. He's like, by the way, the dog died. <laughs> the kid is crying, bawling out. He says, you and I will deal with this later. When the day is over, they're driving away from the camp. And he pulls over to this convenience store. He says, come with me. And the kid's like, uh-oh. Has them sit in the chair, and he goes inside, and it just has a dawning moment. He says, you know, I'm going to try something. So he walks out, and they're sitting there in these two chairs. And he says, son, do you know what mercy is? He says, no. He says, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Do you know what you deserve? And he says, yes. He told me not to tell him about the dog, and I told him. So I probably deserve some sort of a spanking or punishment of some kind. And he said, yes. He said, do you know what but grace is? He says, no. He says, grace is getting the opposite of what you deserve. And my friend, he pulled out a pack of sweet tarts, and they just sat there in the chair and ate sweet tarts together. That's how kids learn the gospel. And if you do that, if you have those moments your instruction and your counsel, it will not provoke them to anger. It will provoke them into Jesus. Lastly, quickly, you can, t- you can be sure that you will do this in front of them. You will, you will not provoke them to anger. You will answer the question of love if you repent in front of them. Look, some parents are so afraid of admitting their mistakes because they, don't, they think, if I, if I let them know I was wrong, they'll think it's okay to be wrong. Or they'll, they'll, they'll know that uh, I've got hypocritical problems or I'm not perfect and they won't take me seriously and they won't listen to me next time. That's, none of that is true. Look, one of the things your kids need to learn is confidence in God's love, that He's a forgiving, merciful, loving God. 
If you never trust that in front of them, how are they ever going to learn that? How are they ever going to learn the power of God's forgiveness if you don't practice it ever in front of them? Look, if you repent in front of your children, you know what it will do? they They will trust you more. They will talk to you more. They will think you're more believable. You do, not, you do not have to be a perfect parent. John Cox, who's a counselor in Mississippi, has this phrase where he says, actually, you know, if you, if you try to be a perfect parent, you'll kill your kids. He says, you just need to be a good enough parent. Yeah, a parent who loves, who cares, who tries, who makes tons of mistakes and then acknowledges them and repents. And you know why you can be a good enough parent? Is because you have a perfect Father in heaven who loves you and will father you no matter how good of a parent you are, no how many mistakes you made. And you know how you know he's a perfect parent and will never forsake you no matter how broken of a parent you are is because on the cross, his son who never broke up, who never made a mistake, who never struggled with anything, called out, Father. And the father turned his back on him so that he could look on all of us as children, and even when we're bad parents, and affirm us and love us. Do you know that God loves you in your broken parenting, in your broken ability to be a child? He loves you. Look, he has got you. Accept that and receive that. Let me pray. Father, all of these things, this question of, of, of being a parent is so difficult. We ask that you would help us. We pray for parent-child relationships, Lord. For those of us who are children, you would help us to love our fathers, help us to love and honor our parents. For those of us who are parents, help us, Lord, not to exasperate our children, but to love them and to care for them. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.